our entire goal in life at Steam Chain is to help facilitate investments in cutting edge manufacturing technology to improve the performance of end users and machine builders. Ooh, that's going to get quoted later. You know that, right? <laughs> Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? Welcome to our fifth episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour. This episode today is all about new models of business in manufacturing. Specifically, we're going to be talking to Steam Chain, which is a company that is changing the way business is done between equipment manufacturers and end users in the manufacturing space. They run what's called a machine-as-a-service business model, which I'm sure you've heard of maybe software-as-a-service before. We're going to get into some comparisons as to what that is. But the individual we're speaking with today is one of the co-founders of the company, Michael Kromacki. And I will say this up front, I'm really excited that we were getting into one of our first more technical episodes. We've done a lot of leadership topics over the past couple episodes, but this time we're going to dive more into some of the technical and financial and business elements of manufacturing. Now, what are the three things you can expect from today's show? First, we're going to discuss this as-a-service business model that I just mentioned, including comparisons to other industries that have been doing this for years. We talk about some of the enabling technologies like Industry 4.0 behind the machine-as-a-service business model, but we also talk about the financial and performance impacts as well. Michael has plenty of stories and analogies to go with this, and I think he does a great job of taking something that's potentially pretty complex and making it very digestible. Second, we're going to get into Michael's 18-year-plus career in manufacturing. In fact, I think it's been two decades now. But prior to starting Seam Chain, he had an illustrious career at Rockwell Automation. Among the many topics, we'll be covering how his early days as a field service engineer helped inspire him to start Steam Chain. Finally, we're going to talk about how to evaluate the financial impacts of moving into an as-a-service business model. Now, if you're a leader in the manufacturing sector, whether you're building equipment or you're an end user and you're running a manufacturing facility, you'll definitely want to listen to this part. If you're a casual listener, I think you'll still enjoy this uh, aspect of the show because we'll talk about one of the biggest trends in technology taking place right now. I won't get into this too much yet, but we have a little fun with this as we get to that part of the conversation. And yes, we also talk about beer. Now, if you're listening to this show for the first time or if you've been enjoying it for a while, I've got a quick call to action for you. If you could, if you love this episode, please head to iTunes to leave a rating and review. iTunes or Apple Podcasts, pretty much the same thing. The best link to get there is manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. And when you're there, if you could leave a review along with a five-star rating, that really helps get the show on the map. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. We met up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for this episode, and speaking of which, let's not waste any time heading back there. It's time to head to the brand spanking new Northwestern Mutual Building on Milwaukee's lakefront to meet up with Michael Kromacki to talk about machine as a service and new models of business in manufacturing. Hi, this is Michael Kromacki from Steam Chain. You're listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. You have a radio voice. I hear that frequently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, this is, this this is, is, I'm excited about this. I can test out my, uh, my, exactly. my radio voice. You really have the FM radio DJ I, thing I, going. I feel like when people say you really have a face for radio, though, that's not a <laughs> it's, That's uh, That you would be correct. <laughs> I've gotten that before, too. But I've also, uh, you know what? I'll take my strengths where I, where I can get them. So, yeah. all right, let's jump on in. Excellent. Ma- Michael, welcome to Thank Manufacturing you, Happy Hour. Yeah, glad to be here. It's exciting to uh, be on your home turf this time back in Milwaukee. It was good uh, getting to know you a little bit out in, uh, gosh, what was that brewery we're at in San Francisco? You know, it was right outside uh, 
San Fran near the airport. Yeah. It had uh, bear wonderful, bottle. yeah, bear wonder, bottle. wonderful sours, as yes. I recall. Yeah. Good sours, good IPAs. It was yeah, a good yeah. way to start. We can imagine that we have them today, <laughs> but we're uh, we're here, and this built this building is the new Northwestern Mutual building, right? It is. It's a beautiful facility for those that haven't uh, had a chance to get down here. I'd encourage you to stop in. Uh, it's certainly a pleasure for us at Steam Chain to have the opportunity to work here. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're really excited about our relationship with Northwestern Mutual and to be mm-hmm. part of their Cream City Labs. I was going to say, what, what is Cream City Labs a little bit so we got some more context? Uh, uh, Cream City Labs is, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll do it the best I can. Sure. Uh, Cream City Labs is, a, uh, is, is part of Northwestern Mutual. It's mm-hmm. a venture uh, group that invests in startup companies. Uh, specifically in the Milwaukee Metro, mm-hmm. uh, and provides not only uh, the capital that they need to grow their businesses, but also the office space and the facilities mm-hmm. necessary to make sure they've got a professional place to work out of, and, and covers some of the costs of that as well. So, uh, so it's a it's a great opportunity for us at Steam Chain uh, yeah. to to have professional facilities, wonderful environment, uh, an office right down on the Milwaukee's beautiful lakefront, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, to be working amongst uh, such great people here at Northwest. Mutual is also a pleasure as well. Yeah, it was nice getting a little tour of the spot. It's cool to see how far these Midwestern cities have come with their innovation centers, for lack of a better word. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So before we get too far into the interview, I want to make sure I give you a proper introduction, though, for our audience. So our guest today is a manufacturing business leader turned entrepreneur with 20 years of experience in the industrial world, advancing through corporate roles in product marketing, engineering, and business unit management. Our guest today recently took the startup leap and founded Steam Chain, a machine-as-a-service company based here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that's helping manufacturers take their plant performance and productivity to the next level, changing the way machine builders and end users collaborate and partner with one another. Ladies and gentlemen, founder, CEO of Steam Chain, and industrial jack of all trades, Michael Kromacki. <laughs> well, what, what a wonderful introduction, Chris. Thank you so much for that. No uh, problem. It's very great. much appreciated. It's great to have you here. And I threw out one term in there that m- many people might be hearing for the first time. That's machine as a service. So since we're here in downtown Milwaukee, let's say we're hanging out uh, at the bar above the Fister. Blue, great cocktail lounge. And someone's like, what is it you do? What is machine as a service? How do you explain it to them in, in the most basic terms? Yeah, so in the most basic terms, uh, you know, anytime you have a scenario where the performance of an industrial asset uh, is used to calculate the payments, the financial transactions between parties, mm-hmm. uh, we would categorize that as a machine as a service solution. Yeah. And this can take multiple different forms. And uh, I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk mm-hmm. about some of the ways our customers are using this technology. Absolutely. Um, but really, it it, uh, it it creates new opportunities uh, in manufacturing that previously uh, only existed in, in, uh, industries outside of manufacturing. So when you think about it, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, uh, an example, uh, mm-hmm. the office printing market okay. converted to this years ago, very successfully, mm-hmm. right? It was one of the early, uh, as a service business models where mm-hmm. instead of buying printers, yeah. You, you began to just pay for the pages that you printed and your partner would show up with the appropriate machinery that met your requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would sign a contract and based on your usage of that equipment in your facility under your operating conditions, you would have mm-hmm. an operational cost as opposed to always having a capital cost and the maintenance of cost associated with managing those those assets uh, themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, somebody else would take care of that for you and you yeah. get the result. Yeah. Right. And more, it's a great comparison, by the way. The printing market makes so much sense for what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, and there's some differences between that and manufacturing, mm-hmm, sure. which explains why it, it didn't uh, go that way in manufacturing ages ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but we think those uh, you know th- those differences are 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 being solved now. Uh, by a lot of the industrial Internet of Things or Industry mm-hmm. 4.0 technologies and investments that companies are making. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we think the convergence of that uh, really opens up the opportunity to deploy some of these creative business models in the manufacturing uh, sector. Yeah, um, It certainly has in other sectors, mm-hmm. right? When you think about IT hardware, 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's a more recent uh, convert to an as-a-service business model. Yeah. Right? Uh, 20 years ago, everybody bought their own server yeah. uh, and, and managed their own infrastructure. And mm -hmm. that's an uncommon choice nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, people are far more inclined to be, you know, signing up with somebody that's handling all of that hardware for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so they get the service that's provided by that hardware. They get the mm -hmm. capabilities, and it becomes a, a well-managed uh, operational expense for them where they can mm -hmm. scale it to what their current needs are. Yeah. Um, and so another example of as a service, uh, mm -hmm. and there's many of them out there, right? It's, it's not a new business model. Mm -hmm. uh, the question really for us was how do you, how do you make those business models mm -hmm. available in this market? Yeah. What are the unique challenges? Mm -hmm. What are the difficulties? Right. And there's lots of them. And, right. uh, uh, you know, but with the new technology, there's lots of solutions to some of those historic hurdles that have prevented uh, these business models from being widely adopted in our market. Sure. And and I do want to dig into those a little yeah, later yeah. in the interview as Absolutely. well, too. Um, those are great comparisons, really helping to start contextualizing where a traditional equipment manufacturer would be providing a machine as a service comparable to, like what you said, late, the latest evolution is it's so common in the IT space now. And then before that with the printer example, I, I absolutely love that. And that is a good bar conversation as well, too. I would understand that even after uh, a martini up on, <laughs> up on that top floor. But I'm interested to get a little bit of your story first sure. as, as we get going, because you had, what, like a 19-year career at Rockwell Automation? <laughs> yeah, I think technically I was there for uh, just over 18 years. Okay. Uh, and so I think I've, uh, yeah, I think this is my 20th year in the industry. All right. Uh, and I spent the first 18 at uh, uh, Allen Bradley Rockwell Automation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was a wonderful way to learn the business and, yeah. uh, you know, certainly had a lot of opportunities there and made a lot of friends. I was going to say, you had no shortage of different roles from, pro if, I, if I remember, like product marketing, commercial engineering, business unit leadership. I mean, yeah. you were really covering the gamut over there. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of things. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to, to be provided lots of opportunities and mm -hmm. I certainly learned a lot, uh, you know, from uh, my early days when I was, uh, started off as a field service engineer okay. uh, for okay. the, the, the motion business at yeah. Rockwell Automation. So, uh, you know, I, I always uh, tell people when, when they ask me about my backstory and kind of how I came up with this idea, you know, I talk about my, my early career when I was the guy that would get on the airplane mm -hmm. when the people that built the machine and the people that were running the machine could only agree on one thing. Okay. Which was that it's all Alan Bradley's fault. Okay. Right. Yeah, the finger pointing. The part finger of it. pointing part. <laughs> right. When when the machines aren't producing, uh, everybody's suffering, uh, but it's a zero sum game. Right. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, nobody wants to own uh, the cost of the resolution, the cost of the investigation. And, you know, one of the things that makes Alan Bradley a great company is they never let their customers fail. So mm -hmm. when these situations happen, uh, they are, you know, they're they're very willing to come in and get involved and mm -hmm. help adjudicate those technical issues sure. and commercial issues. And one hundred percent. That was that was my role in mm -hmm. the in the early days. And mm -hmm. I always thought there could be a better way. Yeah, uh, I, I always felt like uh, the, everybody's spending too much time trying to figure out whose fault it is when clearly the lack of performance on the asset is causing everybody harm. It's yeah. causing harm for the reputation of the OEM. Mm -hmm. It's causing harm for the end user who's trying to run production. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how do you, instead of having a finger pointing scenario mm -hmm. and a blame game, mm -hmm. how do you ensure that everybody is rewarded yeah. when the machine is running optimally. Performing well, and, right. And everybody's facing the same risks when it's not. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about is financial risks, mm -hmm. right? So there's a cost to everybody involved when mm -hmm. the machine isn't performing right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by doing so, can we create alignment mm -hmm. uh, between those parties so that everybody approaches the problem in a way that is in their best interest to help solve the mm -hmm. issue as quickly and efficiently as possible? What, what I love about your background is it sounds like from an early time in your career you were already thinking to yourself there's a there could be a solution out there that that addresses this and really gives a joint performance reward if you will yeah i think it's uh it may be a little bit of a uh overestimate to say that uh, I, I had the answer at that time sure but what i would say is i was clearly aware of the problem mm -hmm. um and and i i always saw the problem as a, a difficult one uh but the opportunity to solve it is is huge mm -hmm. um you know there's a lot of inefficiencies today in and it doesn't just manifest itself uh in terms of underperforming assets mm -hmm. right uh, I think the most harmful thing is the lack of uh, 
confidence in investing in new manufacturing technology. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we see is people tend to buy the same machines that they've always purchased mm-hmm. using the same technology that they're comfortable with mm-hmm. from the partners that they always work with. Yeah. Right. Because doing anything different than that represents risk. Right. And in manufacturing, risk is a bigger part of the equation than cost. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, because risk of downtime is much more expensive than the machine mm-hmm. in most scenarios. Yeah. Um, and so to me, it's not just how do you optimize the machine, but how do you give people confidence Mm-hmm. to invest in that new technology. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of frame this up, and this was much later in my career, but I mm-hmm. ran uh, I ran the independent moving cart business uh, mm-hmm. for Rockwell Automation mm-hmm. uh, as they began to invest in that uh, in, in new technology right. uh, with, uh, with, with the motion business. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest challenges wasn't necessarily convincing people mm-hmm. that the new technology had this great potential. Mm-hmm. It was convincing them that they would see uh, a financial impact from that potential. Yeah, that there wouldn't be hidden costs mm-hmm. or uh, you know reliability issues in the early stage. So, how do you motivate people to move forward to adopt that new technology? Mm-hmm. That stuff that's on the cutting edge that has so much promise, mm-hmm. but it's yet unproven. Yeah, right. And it's another way that you can kind of look at the idea of the as a service business model mm-hmm. to say how do we build a contract so that everybody's interests are aligned. Yeah. We believe the machine's gonna help you. Mm-hmm. We believe it so much that we're gonna put a contract in place that ensures that it does. Yeah, and that's ultimately what you're, that's ultimately what Steam Chain does. Correct. And I've got a follow-up question in terms of where you came up with the idea, but let's get some definition around just Steam Chain in general. Sure. We already know what machine as a service is, but what's, what's the elevator pitch, just so there's context for the next questions? Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, uh, the challenge is when you try and deploy a machine as a service business model in the industrial space, uh, they're myriad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to start off with, it's, you know, how do you collect that data mm-hmm. in a way that's objective and transparent and everybody can trust the provenance of it mm-hmm. uh, so that it's it, that it can be used to execute a financial transaction yeah right and you know today's systems are great but they're very one-sided mm-hmm. meaning somebody owns the data system somebody owns that data mm-hmm. and I always talk about it as uh, uh, you know Excel spreadsheets because in my career I've seen this way more often than I'd like to admit where the level of sophistication of sharing data between organizations mm-hmm. is literally collecting it in an Excel spreadsheet and emailing it to your partner in yeah. some other organization. I've seen it plenty. Even right? the, 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 we all still see it. We all still these, see it this day and age. Right, but if and, and that works fine if it's uh, you know a small uh, agreement, a, a narrow uh, mm-hmm. set of metrics that you're tracking, mm-hmm. uh, but it it falls apart very quickly when you try and do anything at scale. Yeah. Um, and so there needs to be a better way to share that data, to mm-hmm. share it in a way that all parties are confident they have equal and equivalent access to it. And mm-hmm. not just the data, mm-hmm. but the computation. Yeah. Right. Because ultimately what we're doing is using that data mm-hmm. that's coming to us in a secure and transparent way. And we're sharing it with everybody in mm-hmm. real time. Mm-hmm. But then we're transforming it into a financial transaction. Yeah. Right. And today, you know, the person that computes that and then sends mm-hmm. the bill to the you know the other party uh the question always becomes well did they compute it correctly on right. what business system how do we audit that mm-hmm. how do we all mm-hmm. verify it how do we keep everybody in lockstep mm-hmm. and you know this is a problem that's relatively easy to solve mm-hmm. if you're selling office printers sure right because the people that are purchasing them are purchasing all their offers printers from one company, mm-hmm. right? They're very familiar with that company. They know what it is, and, mm-hmm. and they've got a system in place to manage that. Yeah. Um, and if anything does go wrong, there's ways to, to resolve it. But mm-hmm. in manufacturing, you have multiple different types of machines mm-hmm. from multiple different suppliers of machines right. running all at the same time on one plant floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in that scenario, you don't want... 27 different organizations right. supplying 27 different bills mm-hmm. based on data that you don't necessarily have equivalent access to. There's mm-hmm. no single version of the truth. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're collecting all your own production data. Yeah. So it's just very difficult mm-hmm. uh, with, with existing technology to try and build a system that would manage that at scale. 
Right. And of course, that's why we felt like uh, building an, an open system mm-hmm. uh, that was agnostic uh, mm-hmm. and, and able to link to all those machines on your plant floor mm-hmm. uh, really opened up the possibilities uh, for the as-a-service business model in manufacturing. Yeah. And, and one thing, at least this is my first impression about it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're fundamentally changing the relationship between an equipment supplier and an end user at that point. Yeah, uh, we like to think so, right? Mm-hmm. And we like to think we're improving the relationship. Right. Well, because it becomes an ongoing performance-based relationship, ultimately. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and it's uh, important to note here, um, you know, the, the answer is it can. Okay. Right? Okay. These are choices, mm-hmm. right? All right. How we structure the contract ah. is a choice between the end user and the OEM. Okay. We don't dictate the terms. Mm. Right, which creates a lot of flexibility, so it can do a number of different things Got for it. those parties. Okay, but it's really up to them to decide how to contract. Okay, what I find interesting is is today it's a one size fits all solution. Mm-hmm. Right, people buy industrial assets on a milestone based delivery process mm-hmm. that usually starts with a down payment, mm-hmm. uh, some kind of design uh, complete payment. A factory acceptance payment and a site acceptance payment is the traditional model. Yeah. It's been that way since since the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Right? And at the end of it, it kind of culminates after you deliver the machine to your customer's floor mm-hmm. and help them get it installed and turned on and running at rate. It mm-hmm. culminates with a bunch of people standing around with clipboards yeah. and saying, yep, we agreed to this and mm-hmm. we've proven that and we agree to this and we've proven that. Mm-hmm. And then everybody goes their separate ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then if there's problems after that, because, of course, these machines are intended to run, you know, 10, 15, sometimes 25 years. Mm-hmm. Right. So ultimately, at that point in time, right at the delivery of the machine, all the capital goes one way and all the risk goes the other. Yeah. We don't think that's it's a, an interesting a, way. To, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. We don't think that's a great solution. Mm-hmm. We think it's the the we think it's the de facto standard. The reason mm-hmm. people do that do it that way is because that is the traditional way to manage risk in the transfer of the asset right going all the way back to the industrial revolution but it only represents one way to do it mm-hmm. right and everybody's doing it effectively the same way mm-hmm. um but the market has a desire and and we see this all the time with our customers mm-hmm. right uh you know we didn't come up with this in a vacuum Right. The market has a desire to do it other ways. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people try and write those things into the contract. Mm-hmm. But when they start to write more complex terms into the contract, mm-hmm. the problem becomes how do we manage that? Yeah. How do we administer it from yeah. a bureaucratic perspective? Mm-hmm. And, and so we've talked to many machine builders that say, yeah, we do it, but we got to be really careful. We can't do too much mm-hmm. you know it's got to be simple to measure it's got to be something that we're really clear on because otherwise we're just creating more problems and things to argue about right right and that's not the intent mm-hmm. uh, so the desire to have this kind of flexibility exists within the market mm-hmm. people have been trying to do this for quite some time what mm-hmm. we've identified is that it really needs a automated business process yeah a system yeah and and so we built steam chain uh, mm-hmm. with the intent of kind of connecting those dots mm-hmm. uh, for for these companies that that want to contract in a different way yeah. as opposed to just defaulting to the standard that's you know been been the method since the industrial revolution and and the punchline here yeah uh, I know I know you've got a follow up but the punchline here is you know the, the reason we can do this now but couldn't do this 10 years ago mm-hmm. is because of the evolution of industry 4.0 technology okay because the data is now available machines yeah. are smarter machines mm-hmm. are more connected the, the customers are more and more uh comfortable uh connecting their machines to a cloud-based system mm-hmm. the data is now available yeah uh, we think we have the right idea at the right time with kind of all the other things in place mm-hmm. so that we can easily execute on these business models for our for our clients so many different things I want to ask around it yeah. and we uh, I, I think the the first spot I'm going to start since we have a lot of folks that are in the manufacturing industry that have either started their own company, thought about starting their own company, work for an equipment manufacturer and end user right now, one thing I'm curious about. You had you had this idea, you had the inspiration, you had the experience, but you had been working in corporate for nearly twenty years. What was there a moment where you said, "I need to leave and make this idea a reality"? Hum, yeah. Uh, I don't know that there was a single moment. Sure, right. Uh, you know, I think always in my career, uh, I've been very entrepreneurial, uh, mm-hmm. both inside of the corporate establishment. 
Um, but always, mm-hmm. o- always thinking that, you know, ultimately my future, uh, is, is going to include, uh, you know, trying to build a business and I've built businesses at Rockwell automation as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, uh, it was very satisfying and I learned a tremendous amount. Um, but an idea like this was really outside, so far outside of, uh, Rockwell automation's core business. There's mm-hmm. really no place for it sure. in a large corporate environment. It's a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. a, a little bit too new, a little bit too much on the edge of, uh, you know, I don't know about the technology, but the business model, everything changing all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I knew I wanted to, uh, I knew I wanted to take a stab at at uh, building a business, uh, and and I I really had been spending my first eighteen years mm-hmm. thinking about picking my time and my place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for many years I thought that was going to be uh, to try and go into building machines myself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a you know extremely capital intensive, competitive market, right? And you you have to have that uh, really unique idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, so when when I did decide to leave Rockwell Automation and uh, start thinking about what our unique idea is, uh, you know, I was really looking at uh, the industrial Internet of Things and mm-hmm. all the marketing and all the discussions that people are having in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was left unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when 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 people talk about uh, 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 the industrial Internet of Things. Uh, it, it sounds to me a lot like if you build it, they will come, mm-hmm. right? Back, uh, what was that movie? Uh, oh, uh, Field, Field of Dreams. dreams Field right? of Dreams, It yeah. felt like Field of Dreams, yeah. right? Is connect your machine to the network and good things will happen. Yeah. And, of course, there's lots of, lots of interesting stories about what you hypothetically can do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the market isn't seeing a lot of that stuff take off at any kind of scale at mm-hmm. this point from what I was able to observe. Mm-hmm. And, and so as we kind of, took a look at that and 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 you know really in combination with my co-founder Tom Titchy mm-hmm. uh began to think about why these things aren't scaling mm-hmm. why is the rate of adoption of industry 4.0 technologies maybe not as dramatic as people would like to mm-hmm. see we realized that a lot of the a lot of the uh a, a lot of the value propositions uh required substantial amount of work to set up each and every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that makes sense, but well, said it, another way, it's not scalable. It's, uh, there's a lot of customization that goes into Correct. it. And, yeah, there's not necessarily a system around there's not it, is a what system. I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to connect. Mm-hmm. How do you use that data to create value for yourself and for your customers, mm-hmm. right? And the traditional approach, what if there's anything traditional in the Internet of Things, uh, the traditional uh, conventional wisdom is you're going to use it for preventative and predictive maintenance. Mm-hmm. You're going to monitor the machine, and it's going to give you indicators of things that are coming down the pipe that you can, uh, you know, through pattern recognition and artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. identify before they happen and rectify mm-hmm. saving yourself downtime events improving yeah. and optimizing the performance of your assets mm-hmm. we think that's spot on absolutely mm-hmm. the the challenge is for every application those algorithms need to be set up mm-hmm. they need to be customized you need data scientists that are capable of doing that work mm-hmm. uh, and and so for narrow applications it, it'll work great when mm-hmm. there's the value there but yeah. that's not scalable across every machine right. said another way mm-hmm. There's no one algorithm that I can put on every packaging machine and make that packaging machinery run better. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So if that's not the reason why I connect my machine to the internet, or Mm -hmm. if that's still out in the future a little further, Mm -hmm. what can I do with the data today? Mm -hmm. What what value does it have today? Um, And we started thinking, hey, it's not the big data. Yeah. It's not every sensor on the machine, every Mm -hmm. piece of information and massive algorithms. Isn't it interesting to people just to know how the machine is performing in terms of mm-hmm. throughput? Isn't it interesting to know what its availability is? Mm-hmm. You know, how much time does it spend shut down or faulted? How much time does it spend running? And when it is running, what rate is it running at? Yeah. And what kind of quality is being produced on that machine? Mm-hmm. Right. What we're talking about here is the constituents of the overall equipment efficiency, the OE calculation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We call that the little data. 
Yeah. That data is on every it's machine a good name in the for field. OEE. Overall equipment effectiveness for anyone yeah. not familiar with the term, but I think most people listening to this are, are familiar Probably, with that yeah. metric. But ultimately, the best, as far as I'm concerned, the main metric for measuring machine machine performance, correct? Or uh, the pinnacle metric, I should say. I, I would say it's it's the financial driver of every industrial asset. Okay, I like the way you said it right? better. Yeah, and, and which is which should be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, these aren't Ferraris. Yeah. Right. People don't buy them so that they sit in their garage and they can look at them and wax them on the weekends. Mm-hmm. These are assets that, if they're not running, are worth nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody wants to own a piece of industrial equipment for the sake of bragging to their friends. Yeah. Right? The value is completely measured in mm-hmm. its ability to perform some function. Mm-hmm. High availability, high throughput, high quality function. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you boil down why people invest in these things, mm-hmm. it it boils down to those those uh, those components. Yeah. Um, and if you can measure those, you understand what the return is. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you understand that, you can create contracts that share the risk, mm-hmm. share the reward mm-hmm. of the asset. During the second half of the interview, I do want to dig in into that a little bit sure. more. As we wrap up this first part, though, yeah. I am I am curious with with everything you've gone through so yeah. far in in this process. What was the biggest thing you've learned over the past two or so years of doing Steam Chain so far through the validation, getting funding, all of that that goes into creating everything you've mentioned, turning it into a reality? Um, wow, uh, that's a big question. I mean, I've learned so much. The, the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the market is so much bigger than I had realized, um, mm-hmm. you know, across the board. There's so many different players that, you know, w- within one company, within a handful of roles, and mm-hmm. I had lots of roles, but mm-hmm. within one company, you gain a certain perspective and a, and a, and a certain uh, visibility to the market. Uh, but when you change it as drastically as I had to start a startup company, mm-hmm. uh, the, the network you develop, the perspective on the market you gain, mm-hmm. uh, the visibility and the understanding that you develop, I think uh, it was really eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've learned as much in the last two years as I probably did in the 10 years prior to that Yeah. Uh, in terms of the market and, and just different ideas, different concepts, different players different organizations mm-hmm. like you know we, uh, right now we're sitting in a uh, one of the one of the world's best in, insurance companies yeah right yes. and and my network is influenced by financial services mm-hmm. uh, and, and insurance and uh, venture capital and a whole bunch of people that I wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to yeah. uh, during the normal course of my day uh, at Rockwell automation so that's been uh, that's been very refreshing mm-hmm. uh, but it's also meant a lot of work. Sure. A lot of catch up. No doubt. And a lot of learning. Mm -hmm. Love that. Well, we're going to take a short break. We're going to dive into Steam Chain here a bit more when we come back from the break. So for those of you listening, we'll be right back. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the number one source for audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. And since you're a listener of this show, we're giving you a free audiobook if you sign up for an Audible trial. You can do that by going to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. Now, to give you a bit of context on Audible, I know I talk about this every week, talking about some of the business and self-help books I'm reading, but just so you don't think I'm some crazy workaholic, I also crack into some fun reading from time to time. In fact, one of the last books I listened to on Audible was The Dirt by Motley Crue, a little, you know, 20-plus year biography of one of the most notorious rock bands of all time. So it's not all self-help, but there's plenty of that there as we mentioned many of these resources in every episode. If you're interested in checking out Audible and claiming your free audiobook, head to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod to do so right after this episode. And now, back to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for our interview with Michael Kromicky. Check, check, one, two, check, check, one, two. Testing, one, two, three. All right, still got that FM radio DJ voice going on. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one my greatest asset. That and my uh, my beard. I'm gonna go with. Okay, all right. One, two, radio voice and beard. <laughs> well said. Well, uh, aside from radio voices and beard, we're back. Uh, beards. Uh, we're back for round two. And a good way to start the second round of these interviews is with yeah. uh, with a little story. Um, and you know, in this case, since you have such a what I would call a unique cutting edge 
solution for yeah. our industry, a business yeah. model that is just making its way into the industrial space um, to an extent for the first time as machine as a, really, really for the first time as machine as a service. What's a story that can help paint the picture of what this looks like when it's executed for the folks out there that are listening? Yeah, I mean, we, we always love to talk about uh, Pearson Packaging um, mm-hmm. because they've they've been a great champion uh, kind of early stage. Uh, we've been working with them for uh, going on, uh, gosh, uh, n- nine months now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're true believers. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, you'll appreciate this, Chris, as a sales guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk to so many customers and there's always a process that you go through to educate mm-hmm. and explain what you're doing. And, and then you get into the value proposition and how it works out for them mm-hmm. and how it works out for their customer. And, you know, you're, you're justifying it and, and, and educating at the same time before you get to the point that everybody's comfortable to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but every now and again, you walk into a room and, uh, and they've been sitting there waiting for you to come in. Yeah. Uh, meaning that they've been wanting to do this for quite some time and yeah. they've been struggling with how to execute it. They, mm-hmm. they actually made a couple of attempts at it, uh, but the challenge was always in the administration of it. How do you mm-hmm. do it at scale? How do you track it? How do you manage it in a way that, uh, uh, that is efficient? Uh, so you're not just building in a tremendous amount of costs mm-hmm. uh, associated with executing the business model. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, we, we started off our pitch like we usually do by explaining machine as a service and mm-hmm. why we think it's a big deal. And their eyes just lit up. Yeah. And it was, gosh, we've been we've been exploring this, investigating this, trying to do this forever. And we totally agree with the value proposition and mm-hmm. we understand how what you're doing is a solution to the problems we always ran into sure right and yeah. so um so so gosh that's a great day uh as a salesperson mm-hmm. right? i was gonna say i wish i could have more of those meetings yeah. they happen from they time do. to time but they they're do. they're not necessarily the norm they're, they're not uh, although it's not the only time uh we've mm-hmm. seen it so we do think we're 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 really serving a vacuum here uh, and and very much are on the cutting edge, and there's plenty of companies out there that have been having these discussions in their boardrooms mm-hmm. uh, when they talk about their forward-looking strategy and how to take advantage of of the latest technology. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Pearson Packaging. Uh, so they they moved very quickly. Uh, we we worked with them to build the financial models, mm-hmm. uh, and that's always how we start with our customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really want to get everybody involved in a whole bunch of technology deployment until mm-hmm. until everybody comes together and agrees that there's a business model here that's going to be uh, going to be helpful to their customers and to them, uh, yeah. and, and, and help everybody make improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we 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 do the consultation on that. We build the models. Uh, and these can be extremely sophisticated models. Mm-hmm. Uh, in their case, they're measuring uh, various constituents of OEE, uh, and they're using that to uh, set a payment based on the performance and throughput of the asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've built around that an entire commercial program that mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're actually launching here uh, next week at Pack Expo 2019 in Las Vegas. Cool, cool. Uh, so it's the uh, it's the number one thing that Pearson Packaging is going to be showing on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, and they're putting together uh, you know a whole, whole commercial program for all of their assets, uh, giving their customers far more options for mm-hmm. how they invest in new technology and new machinery. Yeah, um, and it's based on you know per case prices. Cool. Um, so instead of, uh, you know, buying a machine and hoping it produces results, you're really operationalizing the cost of case backing mm-hmm. in the case of Pearson Packaging. And, you know, if uh, people want to read about it, I'd encourage them to check out uh, OEM Magazine. Uh, search for Pearson. Search for Steam Chain. Okay. Uh, it's all written up in PMMI's uh, awesome. uh, trade publication. Uh, and so it's a, it's a pretty good story. So for those of you listening, I will make sure to have a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So you'll be able to jump right to that. You know, it's interesting as, as you talk about coming up with the financial model that makes sense. Um, and we talked about this when I was I was back in San Francisco learning about this the first time. I always have to wonder what the CFO is thinking in this type of discussion. Um because you're starting to do things, particularly for an OEM, like you're making changes that are going to impact the statement of cash flows, mm-hmm. the balance sheet. Absolutely. How does how do you get a CFO bought into this? Or oh, how do you... we we run the numbers with the CFO yeah. to start. Okay. You know, when so that's I, like the first pass. Or yeah. One of the first when, steps. When, when I said we we really uh, uh, we really start by consulting on the business model mm-hmm. and and the mm-hmm. people that we're working with, 
generally it's the it's the CFO. Yeah. It's the CFO. It's the ownership mm-hmm. uh, or, or or management of the firm. Um, and then after that, it's the salespeople, mm-hmm. right? It's defining the programs. It's, uh, uh, you know, putting together the plan for how you're going to market it and how you're going to present it to the market, where the value resides and how you extract value from it, mm-hmm. right? We are a manufacturing technology company in a way, mm-hmm. um, but that is, you know, in, in, in we, we, when, when you look at how we lead and how we go to market, we're really a financial technology company. Interesting that's, way to put it, yeah. That's servicing the manufacturing space. Now, all of our team, myself included, we have the strength in the technology side. And mm-hmm. one of the one of the things I've had to learn, and fortunately, you know, through my experience at Rockwell, I've had plenty of opportunity uh, to do business modeling and, and, and understand the balance sheets mm-hmm. and how you're mm-hmm. recognizing revenue and doing all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I've been able to put that to very good use, uh, consulting with machine builders on how this improves their financial performance. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome because as as I uh, being an equipment manufacturer, account manager, that's one of the first things I think of. It's like this is fundamentally changing the conversation you're yeah. having with an equipment manufacturer partner, and on top of that, you're talking to people that you might not always be talking to within that business. Like you said, the CFO is really the person that you're running the numbers with, if not mm-hmm. the leadership yep. um, at that business. You know, earlier in the conversation. We, we talked about the parallels between IT as a service as well, or, um, mm-hmm. you know, I should say, like, um, software as a service, that yep. model, and then uh, comparing it to the printing example. But what are the unique challenges you're seeing in the industrial market? You mentioned there, you know, it's not a one-to-one relationship with what you're doing, with what the other markets yeah. are doing. Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked it. I think it's important to point out, right? Because, you know, everybody... You know, everybody understands how these models have been successful in other industries, and then they mm-hmm. try and draw the parallel to how you do it in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And in manufacturing, the the world is a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're selling office printers or jet engines or mm-hmm. IT hardware, mm-hmm. um, the, there, there's not a lot of diversity in mm-hmm. the product offering. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to machinery, there's mm-hmm. customized machinery, there's standardized machinery, there's right. configured machinery, mm-hmm. there's machinery that packages things, that processes things mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, the, the market is, in terms of the fragmentation, mm-hmm. there's so much more diversity, there's so many measurements, uh, different measurements of what performance means, what mm-hmm. is throughput in each and every scenario. Uh, so. Unlike a lot of those other machine as a service, uh, you, you know, uh, markets where, where machine as a service has been effective, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've got a much narrower problem to solve. And so it's, it's easy for them, you know, if you're General Electric, to build a custom telematics package mm-hmm. with all, all the links back and manage each one of your jet engines in mm-hmm. a consistent and similar way. Mm-hmm. But in our world, a packaging machine is very different than, uh, you know, uh, tissue making equipment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so those measurements need to be set up every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the financial models need to be much more flexible. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing is you need you need to make sure that there's complete transparency to that data, that everybody's seeing the same data at the same time, mm-hmm. that everybody clearly understands how those calculations are occurring and has equal and equivalent access to that. And we think that really solves that scalability problem. So mm-hmm. one single platform can support any number of different assets, mm-hmm. but it does so in a way that uh, the dashboards are all consistent. Mm-hmm. You can easily track down, uh, you know, why is my payment hundred dollars today yeah uh what is the data that drove that what are the terms of the contract and it's mm-hmm. all completely visible to everybody so i just want to make sure i've got the right mm-hmm. understanding even since there's so much customization in mm-hmm. this space you know versus a printer versus every type of machine under the sun yep. while the equipment's not consistent the financial models there's some consistency there is that correct what, what i would say is we've created templates you've created templates okay for what we consider to be the most attractive or common mm-hmm. business models okay and those templates can be configured got it within the platform mm-hmm. to represent the agreement between the parties mm-hmm. and if it you know, doesn't fit neatly in one of our templates, we can create a custom template. Got it. Um, But those templates are, think of them like uh, objects Mm -hmm. in the platform. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what they all have in common is Mm -hmm. there's data coming in. Okay. And there's a financial result on the back end. 
Yeah. Right. And so from the platform's perspective, what resides in the middle, the template, mm-hmm. right, is the smart contract. It is the manifestation of the agreement between the parties. And so we can scale the platform and we can put multiple machines on it. Mm-hmm. We can compare those machines, financial performance, mm-hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, it all results in a financial transaction. At the beginning of the day, there's measurables that drive it. Right. Right. And so from a platform perspective, it doesn't matter how many machines I have. I can look at my daily balance. Mm-hmm. I can look at how much it cost me across assets. Mm-hmm. I can say how much did this class of asset cost me versus that class of asset, mm-hmm. um, even if those templates are all different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a it's a very flexible yet very scalable solution that we've been able to create. So if I I think I heard it right this time. So data is coming in, and you get a financial result on the back end. Yep. That's the most common thing. And then in the middle of that, that's where those templates exist. And those can be customized as needed. Correct. And uh, you know one one thing I think I do want to make sure the audience knows is that your if I if I, if I read this right, your your technology is based on blockchain, which is a buzzword that people tend to throw around these yeah. days. But you know, I like that we've had this whole conversation up to this point, really talking about what the result is, and then oh yeah, yeah that just happens to be the enabling technology behind it. Yeah, and and thanks for bringing it up. I mean, we we we're not a blockchain company. Sure. No, uh, I, I was I wasn't saying you were. But. No, I, I know you're not. But <laughs> gosh, I, I feel like I've given this speech so many times. It probably mm-hmm. sounds like I'm, I'm not being defensive on it by sure. any means, and I'm glad you asked. I, I truly yeah. am. Um, but it's important for uh, for our customers to know that you know we're we're not uh, we're not trading cryptocurrency here. Right. 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 And so just a you know a. a, a basic kind of level setting on blockchain blockchain is the technology that enables mm-hmm. cryptocurrency markets correct yes okay yep um and and so a lot of people see it in the news and they see it uh, you know lined up against uh you know the latest price of bitcoin or the, mm-hmm. f- the fact that ethereum went down 200 percent or wh- whatever <laughs> it is whatever right? the flavor and, of the week and, is and and, and and so we're we're sensitive to people thinking that we're we're somehow a cryptocurrency company we're not yeah uh what what we've identified is that Blockchain technology as a data management utility mm-hmm. is uniquely suited mm-hmm. uh, to address the, the the challenges of delivering machine as a service in our market. Yeah, because it creates the objectivity, it it creates the shared ownership mm-hmm. of that data, which yes. is which is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we tend to prefer to refer to our technology as shared ledger technology yeah. as opposed to blockchain. I was going to say, that's synonymous there, with blockchain. It's synonymous for, with for blockchain. plugged in with it. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't have the same cryptocurrency bitcoin right. feel for, for a lot of our customers. It's interesting. I would not have expected that to be the challenge where it's like, oh, you're a crypto company in right. some regard. Yeah, huh. and, and, and maybe we're overly sensitive to it. But, sure. you know, we, we're very much a Midwestern kind of meat and potatoes sort of company. Yeah. Um, and, and we really feel like we're making a difference to, Mm-hmm. to the industry uh and that you know this is a, a, a for oems and machine builders and american mm-hmm. manufacturers that this is a great opportunity to do things different and change the game and mm-hmm. and and help improve their businesses um and so we just want to be very clear that uh working with steam chain does not imply that you're somehow trading <laughs> cryptocurrency so like, i dig it yeah so so but yeah but shared ownership of data is a huge problem right right mm-hmm. and and today your choices are really you know trade excel spreadsheets like we discussed earlier Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right which which is neither secure nor reliable Mm -hmm. um or build custom connectors between your sap system and Mm -hmm. your customer's oracle system Mm -hmm. or your customer's salesforce system or your customer's you know customized sap system or the myriad different business systems that they have today Mm -hmm. and as soon as one party upgrades their system then everybody's got to rejigger all those custom connectors Mm -hmm. there's no there's no good solution uh, for uh, kind of a continuous sharing of data between corporate IT systems, mm-hmm. uh, but we think uh, actually uh, uh, we think that uh, that uh, Steam Chain uh, creates that opportunity with uh, with with our implementation of blockchain technology, shared ledger mm-hmm. technology. Truly, everybody has equal and equivalent access to the data. Mm-hmm. It's stored in a centralized place that regardless of any one of the parties, regardless of the OEM or the end user or Steam Chain, mm-hmm. that data is always going to be there. It is always going to be the exact same data that went in on mm-hmm. the day that it was recorded. And you're always going to be able to look back and say, how did we end up making this payment? Yeah. It truly is a, a secure ledger technology, a shared mm-hmm. ledger technology that no party uh, independently controls. 
I love it. Well, I love the shared ownership aspect of it because I feel like that's a huge part of everything you do. And the reason I did bring blockchain up is I think, especially when you talk about anything with Industry Mm -hmm. 4.0 remotely related Mm -hmm. to it, I think people get really caught up. um, Industry 4.0 or the Internet of Things, people Mm -hmm. get really caught up in the technology and they forget it's all about, you know, the results. It's all about the data. It's about the financial model. And you, it took us 40, so like maybe 30, 40 minutes before we even got to blockchain. So, yeah, it's all about the Benjamins. Yes. How some that's, people would say. But at the end of the day, it's about the money. You have a more hip way of describing everything today, Michael. <laughs> I'm, I'm digging it. So, and, but that's the key, right? I mean, at the end of the day, again, I'll go back to nobody buys this kind of equipment because they enjoy having it in their garage like mm-hmm. you would a you know, or a painting on your wall, right? Mm-hmm. This beautiful piece of art behind us today. Yeah, Tell people, right? want, people watching this will get a view of that. Right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's right, it's a podcast. That's okay, it's okay. <laughs> that mean, that'll encourage people to head to YouTube at some point. But people invest in this equipment because they expect a return. Yeah. And there's two sides mm-hmm. to that coin, right? There's the upfront capital, mm-hmm. and there's the risk that they're taking, mm-hmm. right? So you're spending money to make money. Mm-hmm. You're spending money for an uncertain outcome. Mm-hmm. So the more you can align the money you spend with mm-hmm. the outcome you're receiving, mm-hmm. the more reliable you are at making investments in advanced manufacturing technology. Our entire goal in life at Steamchain mm-hmm. is to help facilitate investments in cutting-edge manufacturing technology mm. to improve the performance of end users and machine builders. Ooh, that's going to get quoted later. You know that, Thank right? You. <laughs> um, but, you know, I guess going on that, and since mm-hmm. we're, we're nearing the end of our interview, I'm curious, you're, you're seeing a lot of different customers these days. We are. What's the most common challenge you're running into that folks are struggling with? Because I imagine yeah. some of the people listening are having some of those same challenges. Yeah, that's a, a, another good question. Thank you for that. Um, the, you know, the number one thing that uh, that we hear is, Hey, Mike, that's great. Love it. All that's good. But I can't just afford to build machines, Mm -hmm. give them away to my customers, and get paid back over the 15-year life cycle. This is like an equipment manufacturer saying this. From the OEM's perspective, right? I I get the potential. I get the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But how do I, you know, gosh, uh, I don't have the flexibility on my balance sheet to make those kinds of investments. Uh, on some sort of annuity payment, especially mm-hmm. in the transition, right? Yeah. Once I'm yeah. up and running, great. Sure. Yeah. Uh, once but, the system, but I got to cover but... the cost of building all this equipment, right? Right. And mm-hmm. and I can't absorb that infinitely on my balance sheet, mm-hmm. and and that's a, a very realistic challenge to deploy mm-hmm. in machine as a service, and we really address that in in two different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Number one is we aren't promoting. Uh, for uh, a full-blown usage-based financing solution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not an all-or-nothing. Uh, and, and so we've developed stepping stones, mm-hmm. ways to deploy machine as a service, but not necessarily for the complete cost of the capital asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call this, and this is one of our business templates mm-hmm. uh, that, that I discussed, uh, one of them is we refer to as performance warranties. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, hey, we're going to align our interest by uh, you paying per unit on the machine and I'm going to deliver the machine for free, mm-hmm. right? we say you're going to purchase the machine, mm-hmm. but in combination with that purchase, you're also going to... Uh, you're also going to purchase a performance warranty. Okay. We might lower the upfront cost of the machine. Okay. We, right? All right. And then, so basically, instead of saying it's 100% machine as a service or yeah. 100% capital, we can split the difference. Okay. We can That's say huge. it's 50 yeah. 50, or you're going to put, you're going to spend 70% of what you otherwise would have spent on this machine, and 30% is going to be based on performance. Mm-hmm. Right. We can set that level wherever the two parties want it to be set. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, you know, a lot of our a lot of our clients will look at it as, hey, Mike, if I can just get them to cover the cost of the machine, mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to risk all of my margin based yeah. on its performance because I believe in my equipment. Yeah. Right. And and so that could be where they decide to set that line between operational and capital. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that's number one is it's not an all or nothing proposition. Mm-hmm. It can be deployed in steps. The other mm-hmm. way we do it in steps is instead of saying it's the entire machine, mm-hmm. you buy the machine as you normally would, but on that machine there's capabilities that can be turned on or off. Mm-hmm. So the OEM can invest more in software, invest more in capabilities mm-hmm. that can be sold separately of the machine. Okay. 
that can be enabled and disabled and yeah. paid for based on the usage. Mm-hmm. We call that feature management. And it's okay. another manifestation. It's another mm-hmm. template and another manifestation of uh, a machine-as-a-service business model. Mm-hmm. But and, and, and we've got a few more. Mm-hmm. Automated service agreements, um, performance warranties, energy savings, mm-hmm. uh, a number of different templates that cool. we've kind of built within the context of our system. Um, but outside of kind of all those flexible ways, kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, different ways to approach it, uh, we also have relationships with financial institutions that are interested in backing machine-as-a-service mm-hmm. business models as vendor-based financing programs for our for our clients, for our yeah. OEM customers. And so, you know, there's there's a number of things that we can do here, and, and that's part of the consultation where we sit down with the CFO, with, with the business management, and we really look at how much risk they want to take and mm-hmm. how much return they want to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime you're, you're beginning to, you know, uh, create an annuity for your customer based on performance, you're, in fact, financing some of that, and so mm-hmm. there's more margin there uh, yeah. for you because you're covering the cost of capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can easily get third parties to come in and help you with some of those costs. Well, what's what I loved in that answer is that you've created what I'm hearing are stepping stones to yes. get into machine as a service. It's nothing where you need to flip that switch Correct. overnight and change the way you know an equipment manufacturer serving as they're serving their customers. They can take the steps that get them mm-hmm. into that. Yep. Um, speaking of steps, you know how you know where and you mentioned you started mentioning some of the templates. As mm-hmm. we get to the end here, wh- how do people get started on this? What's the, what's the first step you recommend, and how do people connect with Steam Chain? Yeah, so for us, I mean, our and we should talk about our business model just in general, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, it all sounds good, but of course, there's a cost, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, how does that work? How does an engagement traditionally flow? Mm-hmm. Um, we've already talked, you know, generally we get, we get started up front, uh, mm-hmm. and, and we, we help build the business model, mm-hmm. right? We, we explain what can be measured, how it can be measured. We work with them to understand their business, understand the economics and their goals for the program. Mm-hmm. And we put together with their help, a customized business model, business mm-hmm. plan, uh, for how they're going to offer this technology or, or their, their technology to the market. And, and how they're going to get rewarded for doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get into the technical discussion, mm-hmm. right? And that's actually far easier. We, we've got a, a standardized reference architecture. Okay. We, we're, we're, we're a control system agnostic, so okay. we can deploy this uh, you know, across the, the, the whole range of common industrial architectures that right. exist in the world today. Yep. Uh, we, we generally, as part of our uh, reference architecture, use... Uh, technology from HMS, uh, mm-hmm. E1. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a gateway device mm-hmm. uh, that it, mainly because our customers have already adopted it in in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. uh, they're comfortable with it and it works pretty well for mm-hmm. us. Uh, so we we can easily deploy on an E1 device, but we've deployed we can deploy on an E1 device, which is our reference architecture. We can draw deploy directly on an industrial P, uh, PC mm-hmm. that may exist on the machine, we've deployed directly on Allen Bradley PLCs. Always good to hear um, that, too. And, and so <laughs> we, we, we have a lot of flexibility for how we deploy it, and, and the architecture, it's quite frankly made much simpler by all the investments people are making in IoT. Right. Right. Yeah. We ride on top of whatever mm-hmm. IoT systems that they're either already invest, invested in and, and have up and running, mm-hmm. or if they don't have something, we recommend one mm-hmm. and, and ride on top of that. So we get into the technical discussion uh, and, and, and put together the right architecture. That's actually the simpler side and, and mm-hmm. uh, of, of the equation. And we you know, we combine those two things, the business model with the architecture, we deploy it on the machines. And at that point, once they're comfortable, they start selling those machines at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we really get our revenue. Yeah. Once they start selling machines, we take a transaction fee. That makes sense. Right. And so the upfront, all the consulting on the upfront is, you know, a one-time fixed price mm-hmm. uh, kind of cost to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then... Uh, the ongoing cost is a percentage transaction fee based on the business model that they're trying to run, et cetera. Et cetera. Sure. Well, when when the OEM, when the end user, when they're winning, you got to win as well too. Well, that's that's what it boils <laughs> that's down the to, idea. right? You're you're and, you're and being held they, accountable too. Correct. On and if the OEM doesn't make any money, mm-hmm. if they're not getting any uh, revenue from this, yeah, we are not either, mm-hmm. right? Because we're a percentage of the revenue that they're seeing. Uh, and so how we design the business model and how we set that, uh, 
that rate is is really part of the discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. So worst case scenario, uh, any one of our clients would ever be out is that low upfront fee that we charge for the consulting, mm-hmm. uh, which is really just a, you know a way to make sure that everybody's invested in the idea and, yeah. and, and committed to working with us to to make it a reality in their in their business. Well, I love the work you're doing. I guess the thing we we talked about how you got started. We've talked about the the business model, how this is something that's been borrowed from another spot. I'm curious. You've, you know, you're talking. You're working longer hours than you used to. You're doing more things than you used to be doing. What you know? What drives you? And what gets you up every morning right now? What keeps you going? You know, I don't. I I I, I think it would be wrong to say that I'm working more hours uh, okay. than I used to. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I I'm somebody that uh, that's that's always put in sure. the, the the hours uh, when I was at Rockwell or anywhere mm-hmm. else. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've always been very entrepreneurial and always interested in building things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, a lot of my roles at Rockwell were just that. Uh, yeah. You know, my 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 previous role running the uh, independent moving cart business that that was actually a startup company that Rockwell had purchased mm-hmm. yeah. that I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to run. And so that came with its own set of complexities and challenges. And you know, sure. I was very proud of the work that uh, that I did with Rockwell and, and the state of that business now uh, mm-hmm. and, and the, the amount of adoption mm-hmm. uh, that they've seen in that, that emerging technology space has been just, just uh, it, you know, gives me a lot of, uh, it, it gives me a lot of pleasure to kind of see that it's continuing and continuing to grow because uh, I invested uh, quite a bit of time and energy into mm-hmm. that, and now I'm investing my time and energy into into steam chain. Yeah, uh, and and so in a lot of ways it's very similar. Uh, the the differences are, uh, <laughs> the differences are, you know, when I was at Rockwell, there was a, a, a gigantic organization, mm-hmm. uh, shared services, uh, finance people, HR people, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that you'd expect from a large corporation yeah. were there to assist me. And, and now, you know, we're, we're having to handle that uh, as a startup company. And yeah. so the things that I'm challenged with are, are different. I don't mm-hmm. have as much support. I certainly don't have as much capital as a Rockwell automation. Right. Um, and so we've got to be very efficient. Uh, we, we've got to, we've, we've got to solve things in the in 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 the most efficient way we possibly can mm-hmm. uh to to maximize the chances of us uh you know s- being successful with this company so it's mm-hmm. it's a whole new set of challenges same amount of work i would say yeah um but uh you know i think it's it's extremely rewarding f- for me to be uh you know, leading a company with such great individuals now mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know, we continue to add uh, personnel, uh, you know, and, and, you know, everybody everybody believes in the potential of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a certain amount of pleasure in that, uh, that, uh, that that I think hopefully everybody on the team takes away. Well, I was excited to connect with you guys a few months ago when I first learned about Steam Chain. It's been great sharing more about your journey so far on, on this episode. Is there anything you wish I would have asked you that, uh, that we didn't hit yet? Well, Chris, I mean, so this is manufacturing happy hour. this is manufacturing and, happy hour yeah. and uh you know i've been uh, i've been a fan and uh, you know even before we met uh you know i i i've been watching your uh, uh your podcasts and and the things that are posted up on linkedin mm-hmm. so congratulations for uh uh for what you've been able to achieve kind of building this brand and and mm-hmm. and and, and uh, really getting out there and doing something as creative as this uh so, so i think that's awesome but but this is manufacturing happy hour so the one question you didn't ask me that i wish you would have was do you want a beer? Yeah, dude. I mean, I don't have a mommy right now, but what? what let me ask this: What would you be drinking right now? If you could what be would I be drinking? Any beer? Oh, okay, so I'm, you know, I'm a Milwaukee guy. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, and and uh, you know, my go-to is is the Lakefront IPA. Yeah, that's right? Lakefront's a great brewery in yeah. general. I've I've loved that since uh, you know since they opened the doors uh, over there in River West, and is such a such a great culture and. Uh, uh, such a great business, um, and yeah, they've done a nice job. But, but that said, I mean, I got to give love to all the great breweries around mm-hmm. uh, around Milwaukee. I mean, it, it's one of the great cities, in my opinion. There's so many cities now that have a, a, a great microbrewery culture. Yeah. But, you know, Milwaukee, it it still is Brew City. It right? is. At the end of the day, uh, you know, this this is a city built on beer, and mm-hmm. and I think uh, the microbreweries here in, uh, in in Milwaukee are are the best in the world uh, mm-hmm. and, and a ton of diversity. 
Good City's doing a great job. Uh, you know, the uh, gosh, I, I hate to leave anybody off the list, but uh, you know, Sprecher's been around for yeah, a long time. The OGs. Yeah. There was, I think, there was a stat at some point. Milwaukee was adding a new brewery like every month for a solid like two year period. Yeah. The the who who the Black Husky guys up on uh, you know Locust. I had someone tell me about them. I haven't a, been yet. That's a I hot to, spot. I need to that's, make it up there. That's not bad. I mean, gosh, when when. Uh, you know, I, I uh, recently organized a little bit of a bike trip, uh, bicycling on the Oak Leaf mm-hmm. Trail, mm-hmm. and uh, f- realized that you can drive down the Oak Leaf Trail with no traffic on your bicycle, and within, uh, you know, three quarters of a mile of that trail, you can hit, I don't know, eight or ten microbreweries on your ride. I wouldn't suggest you hit them all. Yeah, especially uh, if you're biking. That yeah, might, get, that but, might be a little wobbly along the way. But, uh, yes, yeah, such a great beer culture, and I love what you've done with, uh, with with manufacturing happy hour, combining kind of that uh, entrepreneurial spirit of the microbrewing sure. industry and, <laughs> yeah. and framing the whole discussion around manufacturing, uh, you know, in that context, I think is a great, uh, a, a great approach to, uh, uh, to these podcasts. It's been a collision of a few different worlds from beer to manufacturing. Yeah. I appreciate the kind words, um, but it's guys like you that fuel the show with, uh, with the great things you're doing in the industry. Well, it was a pleasure to join you. And you're right, next time we do need to be doing this over a beer. So I feel like uh, a part two will be coming one day or another. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we did it in the office this time, but uh, yeah. I, I got a few places around town. Love to have you back. Or maybe we can do it out in San Francisco on my next trip out there. That sounds like a plan. For those of you listening, make sure to check out Steam Chain. Uh, you can find them at steamchain.io to learn more about what they're doing. And in the meantime, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. And thank you to Michael and the team at Steam Chain for making this episode possible. It was a blast getting to talk to them. And I really do have a lot of faith in this new business model they've come up with. We've seen the as-a-service model impact plenty of industries. And I can't wait to see how it's going to play in the manufacturing sector. If you are interested in learning more about Steam Chain, then make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com to check out the show notes for this episode, where all of the details and all of the resources mentioned throughout this podcast are available. Another thanks to our sponsor today, Audible. Thank you so much for sponsoring this show for the past five episodes and for plenty more coming forward. If you don't know Audible, you should by now. It is the number one source for audiobooks and spoken word entertainment, and it's where I go to get all of my audiobooks that allow me to stay sharp while I am traveling around for work, driving in the car, and making this podcast. You can claim your free audiobook for being a listener of this show at audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. And finally, I'll just reiterate my call to action. If you're digging the show, share it with anyone, get the word out. That's really the main goal we're trying to do here. But a way you can help with that process is by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right there. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. And then if you could, leave a review as short as one sentence and a five-star rating. Again, it really does help put the show on the map. With that, that is it for this week. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Michael. Hope you found some new insights and hope you check out this new business model in manufacturing. Looking forward to catching you here again next week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we will see you around here again real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.